0: Hello and welcome to the From My Perspective podcast. I am your host Marcus Marshall, and we have a lot to get into today. It was a great weekend of sports. We had the the NBA preseason. We had the NHL. We had the MLB postseason. The NFL. We had college football, especially Friday, where I was up all night. We had the in the MLB. We had the Yankees and Indians that went thirteen in thirteen innings, and the Indians. Had a walk-off RBI to win 9-8. I've never been more excited to watch a baseball game in my life. The Astros dominated Boston. They didn't really get a chance to watch that. My hometown Nationals got shut out Friday by the defending champions, uh, Chicago Cubs 3-0. And in the NBA, we had Philly versus Boston. Tatum and Simmons put on big-time highlights. Wade was looking like vintage Wade. In college football, we had Memphis put up 70 points on UConn. And we had Boise State defeating BYU 24-7 in an entertaining game, as usual, as this rivalry, which always seems to be competitive and respectful. This one was kind of lopsided. But Boise State won that game to take the series all-time series lead, 6-2. Saturday, we had number three, Oklahoma, fall at home to Iowa State, 38-31. They're out of the college football playoff race. You can't lose to a team like that and make it. Ohio State lost to Virginia Tech a couple years ago, but that was Virginia Tech, not Iowa State. Michigan State upset number seven in the country. Michigan 14 to 10. Michigan's offense was complete garbage. It stunk. Five turnovers. The offense literally handed Michigan State the game. The defense showed up and the offense said, here, Michigan State, you want the game? Have at it. And on Sunday, we're about to dive into that. But it's October 10th, and I want to wish my father a happy birthday. I love you, and thank you for all you've done for me. And the Green Bay Packers... Defeated the Dallas Cowboys 35-31. And that was the game of the year so far. Aaron Rodgers led the Packers on a game-winning drive after Dak runs runs in a touchdown to give the Cowboys a 35 no, 31-25 lead with about a minute and 13 left on the clock. From that moment, I knew Green Bay was winning. Green Bay had the game won. The Packers, without Jordy Nelson, moved the ball 75 yards before the game-winning touchdown pass to Devontae Adams. Sealed the deal. The first, they actually ran the same play twice. The the first one, Aaron Rodgers underthrew and he joked about it after the game, saying Devonte Adams basically told him with his eyes, call the same play, but throw a better ball. And Aaron Rodgers did, did did just that, and it sealed the deal versus the Cowboys. The Cowboys had a little trickery going on to end the game, that had me in the I'm nervous for about a half a second. But there was a lot of positives for Green Bay. They although they did lose a couple of players to injury, as usual. Uh, running back Aaron Jones had 125 yards and a touchdown on 19 carries. Aaron Rodgers had 221 passing yards and three touchdowns, and he spread the love Sunday. Devontae Adams had seven receptions for 66 yards and two touchdowns. Martellus Bennett had three receptions for 53 yards. Cobb, Nelson, Kendricks, uh, Richard Rodgers, and Jones had a combined nine receptions for 102 yards and a touchdown. Green Bay's offense is in midseason form, and this team is dangerous. Green Bay's defense struggled, as expected, but they did force three turnovers, two forced fumbles, and an interception. So that was a big plus, especially versus this Dallas team, where you cannot allow them to have the ball. Overall, the Packers overcame a lot to actually win this game. Two missed extra points. Zeke was – they couldn't stop Zeke. And then they couldn't get off the field in third downs. The typical Green Bay things they have to overcome, it was just a little harder because Mason Crosby, uh, uh, Vogel, and and the long snapper, they were having a lot of trouble early on in the game, just getting the extra point to go in. But let's talk about the Dallas Cowboys. They're currently 2-3 and in third place in the NFC East. But are they done? I see a lot of people uh, asking, are they done? And the answer is no, but they're pretty darn close. The Dallas' defense is atrocious, as I expected. They had a complete overhaul of the secondary. They had a complete uh, overhaul of the secondary. Their pass rush is good. It's there. They're getting to the quarterback, trust me. They got Rodgers a couple times. But they're 19th in yards allowed per game and 29th in points allowed per game with 26.4 points per game allowed and they're 15th in yards per play. Dallas' offense will have to carry this team if they plan on making it to the playoffs. And looking at the next five games at San Francisco, at Washington versus Kansas City, at Atlanta, and versus Philly, they might be in some trouble. If the Cowboys get lucky, because realistically, I don't really see. But realistically, let's say the Cowboys get lucky. They'll be 4-1. But that's if they get lucky. Let's say... You know, an injury happens or a missed field goal that no one expected. That's being lucky. They're four and one. At best, they're three and two. But realistically, I see two and three. I don't see Dallas beating Kansas City. I don't see Dallas beating Atlanta, and I don't see Dallas beating Philly. Although they can beat Philly, Dallas is going to beat San Francisco and Washington. I have no 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 doubt in my mind. But Atlanta's offense will pick that defense apart, especially they have Taylor Gabriel. They have Julio Jones, Muhammad Sanu. Freeman can catch out of the backfield. Coleman can catch out of the backfield. And that secondary is not ready for it. Kansas City will physically beat Dallas. And Carson Big Time and the Eagles, they look invincible right now. But that's a very winnable game for Dallas. But my point is, the next five games will determine if Dallas is out or not because they're going to beat San Francisco. They're likely going to beat Washington. But those next three games, those are tough, and they have to go three and two or four and one to remain in because the next five games, they lose three of them, they're four and six, and in this NFC, nine and seven, eight and eight is not going to get you in the playoffs. It just isn't. But let's move it over to Pittsburgh, where they got absolutely dominated by the Jacksonville Jaguars, who might actually have the best defense in football, with, especially with the injuries to J.J. Watt and Marcella for for the Texans. But the Jaguars defeated Pittsburgh 30-9. to In the process, they caught five interceptions on future Hall of Fame quarterback ben Ro- Big Ben Roethlisberger. And Big Ben, he's not there. He looks old. And I'm not making that observation based off this one game, because that'd just be irresponsible. But look at Big Ben on the season. That's over a quarter ways in. Remember that. We're getting week six. He has 1,269 passing yards. Not bad. Six touchdowns, seven interceptions. He's completing 61.5% of his passes. That's the worst his completion percentage has been in nine years. Almost a decade. In my perspective, 10, I had to steal a number two. But I'm having to eat my words about this team. Maybe the distractions do have an effect on them. Antonio Brown throwing a temper tantrum over one play. They'll protest separating the locker room, although I don't think that's that big of a deal right now. And Big Ben was contemplating retirement before the season, but he's been doing that for like the past two to three seasons. But this one, you can tell Big Ben is done. I think Big Ben's out of there after this year. He's had a great career, two-time Super Bowl champion, first ballot Hall of Famer. He wants to. He has interests outside of football. Michael Vick was talking about it. He has. He wants to spend more time with his family. He has other interests and other ventures he wants to go on outside of football. He's hard, He's not. I, I. I do not question if he's giving hundred percent. I have no question about that. But is he mentally there? And you know the saying, If you're thinking about retirement, you're halfway retired, especially in a, in the sports world, especially football. This Pittsburgh team was team will still win the division because they're still an elite team their offense is great with big ben antonio brown Le'Veon bell their defense is emerging as a formidable unit led by Pre, Shazier, and hayden but they won't bounce back this week because they have to travel to play the best team in the league in kansas city but after that they get cincinnati at home they get the colts on the road they get tennessee at home we don't know if mario is going to be playing by then so after kansas city the next three out of five games for pittsburgh should all be wins i don't see them winning at detroit and versus green bay But those can go either way. They can beat both of those teams. Pittsburgh is by no stretch of the imagination out. Big Ben, we'll never see anything like that ever again. Five interceptions from Big Ben, we won't see that. The Steelers are still going to win the division. It's just a matter of how they're going to build for the future. And we're going to stay on the topic of struggling quarterbacks in the NFL, but let's segue down south to Miami. Jay Cutler, who I've personally caught a lot of slack for saying was better Think better than Colin Kaepernick and fits better in Miami. And let me reiterate why I still stand by that. Cutler's best season in Chicago was under Adam Gase, the Dolphins head coach. Miami runs an air raid offense, especially since J.H.I. has forgotten how to run the ball effectively. And Jay Cutler didn't wear a Fidel Castro shirt. In case you don't know, people in Miami aren't too fond of Fidel Castro. So that's why Cutler was the right choice. But my friends are telling me Cutler stinks. Yes, Cutler has only 706 passing yards, and that's terrible. He only threw 92 yards in their win versus Tennessee. He has three touchdowns and three interceptions on the season. He's completing 62.6% of his passes. Not by any stretch of the imagination is that good. But look at the circumstances in Miami. They had a hurricane. That's still devastating. They're still recovering. Now look at their schedule at L.A., across cross-country win, at Jets, so back across the country, just further north, versus the Saints. In London, they went in the entire month of September without a home game in the first week of October without a home game. Now come to find out the offensive line coach is supposed to be coaching the guys to protect him, is too busy snorting cocaine off the, off the, uh, the Dolphins' table. The Dolphins are just filled with distractions. They, they've had a, they grind, they had a grinded out schedule. Especially when the guy who's supposed to be coaching the people to protect you is snorting crack off the table. It was a white substance that's not specified, but we all know what it is. It's cocaine. He's, he said the most incriminating thing you can possibly say. I lied to you not. He said out of his mouth. How about me going to a meeting and doing this before I go and then snorts the line? How much more incriminating can you be? This is why I give Jay Cutler slack. He's been sacked 10 times. No wonder they're struggling. No wonder Jay Ajay can't get going. The O-line coach is too busy being high at work. Overall, you have to cut Jay Cutler some slack. Even Stephen A. Smith, the guy who doesn't really like Jake Cutler, is cutting him some slack. Look at all the distractions surrounding this franchise. You haven't had a home game in over a month. They just had their first home game. You've traveled across country multiple times. You went to London after traveling across country. And then your O-line coach, who's supposed to be coaching the guys to protect you, is too high to do his job. So that's why I have to cut, give Jay Cutler some slack before you come attack him. And we, we've been talking about a lot of quarterbacks, so let's keep talking about it. And we all know I'm 100% sold on this quarterback draft class being the best of all time. Josh Rosen, Josh Allen, Sam Darnold, Luke Falk, Lamar Jackson, who's actually sliding down my draft board because he can't seem to beat a decent team. He's still a great player, but he just can't beat decent to good teams. And, and Mason Rudolph, college football's quarterback player at an all-time high. Everyone seems to have a good quarterback outside of Michigan who's got, who, who's their starter got hurt and obviously some other teams and looking around the NFL, we've got some solid quarterback play too, especially in the NFC. The only team that really needs one is San Francisco and they're likely going to get Kirk Cousins this off season. They've got Kyle Shanahan and his favorite wide receiver, Pierre Garcon, the AFC, the Jets, Jags and Browns are the only one that really need one. But Looking around the league, we're going to see a lot of trading with teams looking to land the quarterback of the future. And I'm going to tell you which three teams, we're not going to put the, the Jets, Browns, these are three teams that currently have franchise quarterbacks that are looking for the quarterback of the future, and I'm going to tell you which quarterback best fits them. And then we're going to start with the Los Angeles Chargers. They're 1-4. Phillip Rivers is 35. There's not a lot of time left. I think Josh Rosen best fits best fits for the Chargers, especially since they're 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 firm on staying in L. A. They're going to take the L. A. Kid. He's a refined pocket passer. He can extend plays with his feet. Josh Rosen with this with this Chargers core, his transition will be smooth. He's a refined passer. He can throw on the run. He can do things to win this team games. Number two, we have the Pittsburgh Steelers. Big Ben is likely out. I'm going to say Big Ben is out after this year. They'll still win the division they'll still win a playoff game or two so they'll have to trade up a few spots to land a guy who I think fits them perfectly and that's Luke Folk out of Washington State. He reminds me a lot of Big Ben. He's not overly mobile, he's a strong, accurate arm and he's a big body. Luke is 6'4" 223. Big Ben is 6'5" 240. Luke Folk's going to bulk up in the league. He'll basically be a replica of Big Ben and we all saw that worked out to Super Bowls. Luke Folk is extremely accurate. I've seen Luke Falk. He's extremely accurate. He's, he's impressive. He might be the most accurate quarterback in this draft class. And number three, we have the New York Giants who are 0-5. Eli Manning is getting beat up out there. He's 36 years old. The Giants are officially in the Sam Darnold-Josh Rosen sweepstakes, meaning they'll have a top one and two pick, likely. And if you would have told me the Giants would be in this sweepstakes five weeks ago when the season started, I would have laughed at you. I lie to you not. I would have laughed right at you. But Donald is exactly what this team needs. He's a raw, talented guy who can make plays with his feet. that You'll definitely need behind this offensive line. The Giants need to mail this one in. Eli's getting beat up. And you want Eli around even when you draft Donald to give him some tutelage. You want Eli to be able to play. You don't want to throw Donald in right out the fire. He didn't have a lot of time at UFC. I mean, US, USC. He hasn't had a lot of time there, so you want him to sit on the bench at least four seasons season behind Eli Manning so he can learn the ropes. He can learn. He can practice. In playing that first-team defense in practice, he's going to learn what an NFL defense is. So you don't want Eli to get beat up. You lost your entire receiving core in one game. Your defense is gassed every game for being on the field too long. And when you look at the Giants' next five games at Denver versus Seattle versus the Rams, at San Francisco versus Kansas City, they'll beat they'll beat San Francisco. Hopefully. Meaning they'll be one in nine after these next five games. They're not beating Denver. They're not beating Seattle. The Rams, eh, I, I decided we'd go off on that one. And they're not beating Kansas City. If I'm New York and we're one in nine or two and eight, I bench Eli Manning the rest of the season. We're taking for Donald. I bench him the rest of the season. We're going to take a break. We'll be back. And we're going to talk a little bit more NFL, and we're going to talk the NBA tanking problem. Is it solved? And we we got some baseball to get into. We have a lot to get into today. We have a loaded show. Let's hurry up and take this break, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to the From My Perspective podcast. I am your host, Marcus. And we had some terrible news come out of the NFL on Sunday. And there was a lot of unfortunate injuries. Uh, Giants wide receiver Odell Beckham is out for the season with a broken left ankle. It's really just such a tragic injury for a player of his magnitude. Odell Beckham won't lose any leverage in his contract negotiations. He's still a great player, but I do wish him a speedy recovery. I don't ever want to see players get injured, uh, especially, you know, in contract years, and he's trying to make as much money as he can, and his injuries are just so unfortunate. Uh, the Houston Texans took two significant blows on their defense when they lost J.J. Watt and Marcellus, who combined for 109 Who combined for 109 sacks in 2012, the most by any pair of teammates during that span? Uh, the Texans defense is going to feel those losses. And it's upsetting to see players like JJ Watt, really any player, but especially JJ Watt to get a serious injury after what he's done for this for this community and for this team. And he missed last season, well, 13 games last season with a back injury. He started the fund that donated over $37 million to the victims of Hurricane. Hurricane Harvey and just reading that heartfelt tweet that he sent to the fans that read, I can't sugarcoat it. I'm devastated. All I want to do is be out there on that field for my teammates in this city. I'm sorry. And and that just hurts to read, man. And I just wish that everybody a speedy recovery. Uh, the, all three of those guys are likely out for the season. Uh, and it's just unfortunate to hear, especially when you have the players of this magnitude and these kind of personalities that, that that bad things happen to good people. But let's switch it over to the NBA and the NBA passed the draft lottery reform alongside a new new players' resting policy. But let's start with the draft lottery reform. And it begins in twenty nineteen. The odds of landing the number one pick are significantly lower as of right now. In the worst, as of right now, the worst team in the league gets a 25% chance to be awarded the number one pick. And that de- decreases 11%. So that means three teams will have the best odds to land the number one pick. But this doesn't discourage me from tanking at all. If anything, it's borderli- if I'm borderline bad, like the Phoenix Suns, for example, I'm going to go for it. I mean... The Phoenix Suns are not the worst team in the in the league by any stretch of the imagination, but they're not a playoff team. So under the reform, teams four through ten have increased odds of landing the number one pick. But let's focus on the four through five range because if I'm if I'm Phoenix and we have about a week left in the season, a week and a half left in the season, and I'm not making the playoffs, I'm sitting everyone just like they did last year. I'm sitting everyone. Tyson Chandler's not playing. Brandon Knight's not playing. Eric Bledsoe's not playing. Devin Booker's not playing. Josh Jackson's not playing. I'm all in because now my odds of getting the number one pick are up than any other year because I, I've, as long as I'm through the four through five range, I feel a lot more comfortable landing that number one pick than I would today. And this actually punishes the bad, the genuinely bad teams like Brooklyn, Chicago, Dallas. These teams are genuinely bad, and now – their odds of getting better are significantly lowered because you're afraid of the process happening again. Sam Hickey is the only one in the world that can actually pull off the process. He, he's the only one. And when you look at the new tanking reform, it's good for its intended purpose to stop the process, but it's bad for the teams that are genuinely bad. And for the teams that aren't prime free agent destinations like Oklahoma City, they're good right now, but they're thinking about their future. How are we going to land quality free agents? We have silos in our town. We don't have clubs. We, there is no nightlife. We're in Oklahoma City. And so this punishes the small markets. Brooklyn's not landing picks anytime soon. I mean, uh, free agents anytime soon. The Bulls aren't, the Knicks aren't, the Mavs aren't. The Mavs had a big-time free agent in DeAndre Jordan, and he changed his mind and went back to L.A. So their only hopes of getting big-time players are through the draft. Small markets like New Orleans, Utah, Cleveland, Indiana, these these guys rely on the draft to get all their talent. You think if LeBron James wasn't drafted to Cleveland, he'd be there right now? No, he wouldn't. So this this hurts more than it helps. Yeah, it stops teams from trying the process and trying to just stink up the joint for an entire year. But at the end of the day, you're hurting the teams that are genuinely bad and rewarding the teams that are just going to tank late in the season. That's just my two cents on it. And let's discuss the new resting rule or let's call it the LeBron rule because no one cared about players resting before LeBron. So I'm going to refer to it as the LeBron rule. Now, according to the LeBron rule, the NBA will now penalize teams upwards of $100,000 for resting healthy players on national television games. As a sidebar, like I said, this is, this is not a problem for bad teams like Phoenix late in the season. We're not on TV anyway, I'm taking. But this is a hard thing to enforce, coming back to the topic of finding players, because I can just make up an injury and you can't prove it. Oh, uh, LeBron didn't play last night. Uh, uh, he he, he twisted his left ankle a couple days ago. Oh, um, KD can't play tonight. He had a fever this morning. You you can't. It's just gonna. Teams are gonna finesse their way out of this. They're gonna make up things. Teams are smarter than they appear to the you know NBA. Come on. Now I do like the rule because I feel that it's fair to the fans and to the fans of the other conference who see players once a year. They only get one chance to see that star player, and if he doesn't come or he sits out, you have to wait till next year and hope. He won't sit that one out, too. So I understand why they're doing it, and I support why they're doing it. But it's not going to stop anyone from doing it. I'm still going to do it. I mean, we just got to make up a reason. And like I said, I'm happy for this. It'll increase ticket sales for the games because teams like Memphis and Denver who don't really get ticket sales when LeBron, KD, uh, Russell Westbrook, uh, and then those kind of players come to town, they're selling out the gym. And that makes more money for the team in the league. So if the, if the if their favorite players aren't are playing, they're not going to buy the ticket. They're not going to watch the game on TV. They don't care. Who wants to see half a Cleveland team face Memphis? And so this is a good rule for that. But I, I just feel, I'm interested to see how they're going to enforce it. And we're going to talk baseball for the first time. And the postseason is fun. I, I can watch some postseason baseball. I mean, it's amazing. Uh, the storylines are great. The series have been good. The Houston Astros finished off the Boston Red Sox three to one in the series after a five four victory, and Rafael Devers hits an inside the park home run in the bottom of the ninth, but it wasn't enough because Carlos Beltran's insurance run was just enough. I mean that was that was an exciting ninth inning. Uh, my hometown Nationals are now trailing the defending champion world. I mean defending world champions Chicago Cubs. Two one, the Dodgers completed the sweep over the Diamondbacks in the most electrifying divisional series between the most talented ball club in baseball, the Cleveland Indians, and the over—you can say the overachieving New York Yankees—because this team popped a year too early. They have a lot of young talent, but this series is all knotted up at two two. It comes down to Game Five on Wednesday at the Indians. But tonight's game, we have the Washington Nationals at uh, Chicago Cubs at five thirty eight. This first pitch. So I'm likely going to be there watching that. Oh, wait, no, I have class today. Dang it. Uh, I'll likely be watching the play-by-play or the the box score. And let's take a break, and we'll be back with the Perspective 10 in Gambler's Paradise.